Today's episode is with Jim Heather, the CEO of Hyperice. Jim joined Hyperice in 2014 and has led the business from less than $1 million in annual sales to over $200 million in sales last year. In this conversation, Jim walks me through how they built a billion dollar business, what it was like raising nearly $50 million from some of the world's best athletes, and the craziest things he has ever done to keep the business alive. This was an awesome conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach. Monitor your recovery, sleep, training, and health with personalized recommendations and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better, and now feel healthier with Whoop and their all-new Whoop 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable on the market. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. The device also features an all-new smart alarm, designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Plus, it was designed with their new Anywhere technology, so you can wear it with their new Whoop Body Sensor Enhanced Technical Garments, boxers, shorts, compression tops, leggings, and more. Just remove the band from the device and slide it into your garment of choice, and you're discreetly tracking your daily activity with Whoop. I've been wearing Whoop for over a year now, and it's drastically improved the way I approach fitness and think about my recovery. Not only is the device comfortable to wear, the app packs a ton of health information into a simple display that's easy to understand. Get the all-new waterproof device for free when you sign up for Whoop 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left on your membership, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering 15% off when you use code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter Joe, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Next up is Public Rec. Are you looking to upgrade your baggy sweats? It's time to check out Public Rec. Their best-selling all-day, everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style. Myself, along with thousands of others, are wearing these, and trust me, they live up to the height. Finally, a more stylish alternative to sweatpants that are way more comfortable than jeans. Now, your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they're definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo code HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. This episode is also sponsored by CoinCloud. Did you know you don't need a bank account to buy crypto? CoinCloud makes it easy to buy or sell Bitcoin and 30 plus other digital assets with their digital currency machines. It's the most convenient way to make a transaction. With thousands of machines across the country, there's no need to connect your bank account or wait in lines. Plus, they offer live 24-7 US-based customer support. Simply put, CoinCloud wants to make it easy for you to get involved in crypto. Get $50 off in free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any CoinCloud machine and use the promo code Joe. You heard that right. That's free Bitcoin. For details, go to coin.cloud slash Joe. That's coin.cloud slash Joe. And don't forget to use promo code Joe for free Bitcoin. All right, Jim. So I want to start with the last year, last year and a half, two years. Uh, It's obviously been extremely challenging for a bunch of brands, including yourself. But while some people were furloughing employees, uh, seeing their sales decline, facing extremely difficult events, conversations, et cetera, HyperIce seemed to be accelerating their business. Uh, And it obviously speaks well towards you as the CEO of the company. But I would love to hear just from your uh, kind of experience and everything that you saw, what happened? Yeah, great question. And first off, thrilled to be on the show. Big fan uh, personally of the the podcast as well and just your coverage in general over the last few years. So thanks for having me on. Um, I think for us, we've always been a company that goes on the offensive. We we feel like we're a very opportunistic 
Um, we've spent a lot of time and energy, you know, helping to create this space, which is very exciting in the health and wellness sector. So when, when COVID hit in 2020, we'd actually just acquired a company literally seven days before. Um, but I remember that date clearly um, because we just acquired Normatech and I was actually out on the East Coast at the closing dinner at that time. Um, when the NBA news hit. And, and again, we had just bought a company and we're looking at this, oh my gosh, how is it going to change the world? What's going to happen here? Um, we just made a huge acquisition. And I remember on the flight back, I said, you know, this isn't going to change the way the health and wellness sector progresses. And us as innovators, this is a huge opportunity for us to, to push the limits and to look at this as an opportunity to find new ways to reach customers to find new ways to develop innovations that can help because people are going to be more health, more health conscious coming out of this. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that COVID has you know, made them buy one of the high price products, but just in general, people are going to be thinking about their health. So I set up a meeting about a week later with our entire high price team. And I remember I had a picture of a, um, it was essentially a boat going through really choppy waters and I said to the team, you know, this is us right now. There's a storm ahead of us. We don't know what to expect. Um, a lot of people are going to park their boats and wait for the storm to pass. We're going right through the storm. And if we get through the storm successfully, which we will, we'll be on the other side further ahead. Um, so we took that approach and philosophy all through 2020 and, you know, brought some elements to 2021 as well. Now there were some learnings, like we definitely got through 20 with some holes in the boat and some, <laughs> yeah. some water coming over the, the side, but, but we made it through successfully. And I think we had a great 2020 year. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And you guys have obviously, we'll get into some of the partnerships you signed, some of the capital you raised, some of the investors you, uh, recruited really, but I would love to level set real quick and just talk through. Yeah. When Hyperice was founded, right? Yeah. Uh, so Hyperice was founded by Anthony Katz, I believe over yeah. a decade ago, but I'll let you speak on that. When you joined yeah. uh, and kind of just yeah. the last few years leading up to that. Yeah, so Anthony Katz founded the company. He was a former basketball coach and teacher and essentially was, when he got into his 30s, he was a big basketball fan, loved playing recreational basketball and his body started to break down. So he was inspired to create at the time a product and a brand that could help people kind of reach their fountain of youth and enhance longevity so they could do the things that they love for a longer period of time. Um, the first product was an ice compression product that he developed. He was essentially passing the product out of his car to NBA players. It's well known. The company was named after Kobe Bryant's shoe, the Hyperdunk. So, so um, real quick on that, is the story yeah. true that Kobe was working out uh, at the nearby college and, and Anthony would go there and he would get some feedback on it. And basically Kobe was just looking to test products, see what he could get for an edge, whatever it might be. Cause from my perspective, I, I, remember, right? Like, I don't remember the exact day and time or whatever it was, but I remember seeing Kobe wearing the compression sleeves on his knees, right? After yeah. games when he was on the bench. So maybe just talk through that real quick of like his impact on the product. Yeah, he had a tremendous impact. And, and the true story is uh, Anthony was connected to a trainer who was close to Kobe. And the trainer said, Kobe, Kobe heard about this product you're developing and wants to see it. And so Anthony set up a meeting, showed Kobe the product, Kobe looked at the product and said, Ooh, I like this idea, but X, Y, Z, I think you could improve it here. I think you'd improve it here. If you want athletes to wear it, it's gotta be cool. It's gotta be ergonomic, all these different elements. And, and said to Anthony, if you can create one that fits all these needs for the athlete, I will wear it on the sidelines. And Anthony took that as inspiration. Like 
Kobe Bryant was his favorite athlete. I'm going to make something pretty damn good. Yeah. So they'll wear on the sidelines. And um, after iteration, iteration, finally nailed the correct product. And Kobe lived up to his promise and wore it almost every night. It's amazing. It really helped us with exposure and brand authenticity. Yeah. So let's, let's fast forward from there. That's obviously amazing. Great head start, but the company wasn't built at that point, right? I believe you guys were still doing less than or single digit millions at the time in revenue. Uh, you come in in 2014, you had experience in the health and wellness sector at some previous companies that you worked at. Maybe just talk through your role, how you came in, how you became CEO, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, I had about 10 to 12 years of executive experience prior with various health tech companies, as you mentioned. Um, I also had a background in, in finance and marketing and former, you know, failed college athletes, so to speak as well. Um, but when I was brought on, one of the things that Anthony and I really kind of connected on early in 2013, we had the first meeting was, we wanted to transition Hyperice from being a sporting goods company into a technology company. Right. We both wanted to be more Apple, Tesla, Dyson than, you know, other brands that had had been prior in the sporting goods category. So when I joined, there was only five employees at the time. Um, Company was doing, you know, four hundred thousand dollars in revenue. It was very small. Uh, There really was a great brand and some good product innovation. Um, And Anthony was a great uh, brander and product developer. Um, but no infrastructure. We didn't really have the full vision identified for what we wanted the company to be. And uh, we immediately lined on, let's develop one to two very innovative cutting edge products every year, much like Apple. Um, Let's not settle for a second best or a me too product. It has to really disrupt the industry in a meaningful way. And let's use our connections with pro athletes, head performance experts, scientists that we both had accumulated over our careers to validate those technologies so that they could be transformational. And, you know, when I look back at that first conversation, I remember exactly where we were. Um, At the time, I had actually accepted a job, a a C-level job at a company in Silicon Valley. Um, I ripped up that deal and Anthony and I joined forces in February of 2014 and have been on a, a pretty nice run since. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> uh, so to, for someone that's looking outside in, a lot of what you guys, I believe, have done uh, is you've gone from the top down, right? So you've gone to professional athletes. Kobe Bryant's obviously the most notorious or obvious example, uh, but you've worked with a bunch of other athletes and some of these people invested in the company, Blake Griffin, Mark Sanchez, uh, a bunch of others, right? Lindsey Vaughn, et cetera. Was there a premeditated or was that your guys' approach throughout to develop the best technology for the best athletes in the world? And then if it was good enough for them, we could sell this to regular individuals? Exactly. That, that's the premise. We, we really felt like if we could create that authenticity and we could prove that the world's best athletes and the world's most prominent teams who are spending the most resources on enhancing the longevity of their athletes, the best personal trainers, the best physical therapists, the best performance coaches, and the best technology. If we could affect change there and have the athletes relying on our technology, we would be essentially good enough for everybody on earth, right? So we would set the brand framework there. We would um, aspire relentlessly to make the world's best products. And once we, once we got that credibility and authenticity, bring them to the masses. Um, and I think the, the investment piece, which is really interesting, getting athletes to invest just creates a whole nother level of buy-in. So some of the product development 
um, initiatives that we've had with like, I mean, LeBron James has given us great product advice. Lindsey Vaughn, great product advice. Patrick Mahomes, great product advice on some of our new innovations. Um, Christian McCaffrey's participated in some of our product development, obviously Kobe Bryant in the early days. So they all really do have kind of their imprint on our technology differentiation, which is really cool. Yeah. And how hands-on are some of these athlete investors? We can go through kind of the full list, uh, maybe in a little bit when we talk about funding and stuff, but especially the early people, I'm assuming there was much more of a hands-on relationship, right? From my perspective, uh, you're, you're getting equity in a company that is relatively new. It's still startup. Like you mentioned that you guys were still doing, uh, right when you joined about $400,000 in sales. So there's tremendous mm-hmm. upside, obviously, especially within the health and wellness and technology space. Were they mm-hmm. super into this? Were they trying to help as much as they could with product? Were they helping with marketing? Just talk me through what their, their role was early on. Yeah, all of them were different. Honestly, some of them took more of a marketing role and would come to us and say, Hey, I just want to use my reach to get people to have more awareness around the technology and products. And some were really invested in the actual product development phase. Like Lindsey Vaughn has been one that has been very, very invested in kind of giving us advice and feedback on the look and feel. Uh, Kelly Slater is another one who always has been very proactive and saying like, Hey, you know, what about this? I've seen this new technology out there. What if you combine this and this Um, Blake Griffin really early on um, was one of the athletes who, uh, brought us a, a percussion kind of like an old clinical percussion ish device and said, Hey, there's something here. If it could be in a consumable format. Um, so I would say it's, it's a little different for each athlete. Some are more focused on the business. Some are more focused on the product and some just really want to help in whatever way possible to use their, their reach throughout the world to, to drive consumers to us. Yeah. And one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about and I, I love talking about is that reach, right? That uh, not only the authenticity of kind of, hey, this product's really good. I use it. I'm a professional athlete. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. But the distribution aspect of it, right? Which is LeBron James has 100, 100 million followers on Instagram. If he tweets something or if he Instagrams something and someone sees it there, uh, th- he doesn't even have to promote it, right? You don't even have to tag the account. You don't need to do anything. They just see it. So you guys from an early stage, you might've raised a little bit money uh, early on from a couple strategic investors, but you did yeah. your series A last year, right? And you raised 40 something, 45, $47 million. Right. That was really the first amount of real capital you guys raised outside of those strategic investors early on. One, Correct. was that strategic distribution with professional athletes, how you guys were able to bootstrap the business and really grow it? Or was there another avenue that you guys really used? It did help. So prior to the $48 million round, we had only raised four and a half million in growth capital since the inception of the company. Um, so we were profitable. And that's a decade, years. right? That's about yeah, a decade. Right. Yep. We hadn't raised since 2015. We closed our kind of final seed round in February of 2015. And that was, you know, about a $2 million round. And we didn't raise again until 2020. Um, so we were investing, growing all on profitability. Um, I think that the athletes really helped us with reach and they helped us with, you know, again, the authenticity of the brand, um, and just get the word out there. I think we were able to leverage that effectively to kind of some of the health tech brands or the health, uh, brands in the, in the space like Equinox and Orange Theory and Lifetime Fitness to generate distribution opportunities there because there's so much credibility around the brand and the athletes that were using the brand. Um, I think the athletes also helped us at retail 
in a really big way. You know, we were the first recovery tech company ever to be in Best Buy. Um, and Best Buy actually like created an experiential store um, in a hundred of their doors just around Hyperice specifically in uh, 2019 and 2020. So I do think that this, this DNA with pro athletes, people really understand, okay, it's not just LeBron or Kobe using the product because they're getting paid. These are really part of the athlete's lifestyle. And if it's good enough for them and they're relying on this to create a competitive edge or to create longevity, then I got to look into this because this could be good for me in my everyday life, whether I be a, you know, a health consumer or just an everyday person in the workforce. Yeah. Um, so I think it's been a big part of our blueprint and success story. Yeah. And I, uh, full disclosure, I have some of the products. Uh, nice. They're obviously amazing. <laughs> I, I believe so. Uh, there's a variety of them. How many products do you guys have today? Um, different categories. We have seven. Okay. Um, and then we have a variety of different SKUs in each one of those categories. Okay. And most of them are still uh, like heat and ice recovery with a little percussion. I know the gun is super popular. Is that your best-selling product? Um, best-selling product right now is our percussion devices, but um, our Normatech, which is a company we acquired yep. in 2020, pneumatic compression is, is massive right now. I mean, we're seeing over a 2X growth year over year on that product line specifically, which is big. Um, we just acquired a, a mental wellness technology called core. So getting us into the mindfulness, healthy body, healthy mind category. Yeah. Um, and then the previous products, vibration, percussion, and thermal technology, uh, delivering heat and cold electronically. Yeah. Thermal was the right word, obviously there that I should have used yeah. previously. <laughs> uh, but I would love to just talk through kind of growth of the business and inflection points and, and kind of just get your opinion uh, as someone who has not only seen it, but led it. Right. So you guys were doing, you mentioned in whether it was 2013, 2014, you were doing around half a million dollars in sales when you initially joined the company last year, I believe, and correct me where I'm wrong on this, but I believe you were doing about a hundred million dollars in sales and then, or two years ago. And then last year you did about $200 million or more in sales one of those numbers accurate. And then two, just walk me through that growth, right? Cause I think looking back, people get lost. I call them video game numbers, right? Like people just get lost in them for a second because they see the trajectory and they say, Hey, it's a growing industry. The company took off, but there's obviously some inflection points in there. And I would love to hear about the ones you guys saw. Yeah. So those numbers are, are pretty accurate. Um, you know, more, more or less, and uh, we did do over 200 million gross last year in 2020 and, and have a, a pretty great growth trial this year as well. Um, but I think there were, there were a lot of pivotal points for us. I think when we originally launched percussion in 2018, that was a huge moment for us. And there were two to three years prior to that, that really set up that launch and the percussion device I'm referring to is the Hyperbowl. I'll yeah. never forget. We launched that February, 2018, and we literally sold out in six minutes. It was just unbelievable. And we had to ramp production that year, but we had set the framework in advance of that. We had relationships with the Equinoxes and the Lifetime Fitnesses and every pro sports training room, every collegiate training room, um, relationships with companies like Select Medical on the PT side, uh, Massage MV on the massage side. So we had kind of built this distribution infrastructure to set up that product. So when it hit in 2018, um, it had a wide level of distribution immediately. Um, so that was a pivotal, pivotal point from us. We went from 10 million to 64 million that year. Uh, prior year 10, we did 64. So essentially 6.5 X 
with the launch of that device. Um, I think that one area that really has helped us too in the last 12 months is focusing on the international side. Um, we really just are on the very early stages of growth in you know emerging territories for us, China, India, you know, European markets, Australia, Canada, we've seen just tremendous growth in those territories. So it's taking kind of a similar blueprint that we've created here in the States, shifted a little bit based on the cultural dynamics, and then um, pushed pretty aggressively in those markets. That's really helped us accelerate our overall growth. Um, but there's been a lot. I think at the, at the core of this, the brand is really strong and we continue to focus relentlessly on innovation and uh, we never will stray from those two things. Yep. And I think that they've served us well. And we've been able to, through our relationships, see around the corner on what we think is the next big thing. And we'll miss from time to time, for sure, very humbly. Like there's a few products that when we got to the finish line, we're like, eh, let's scrap that one. It's not exciting enough. Um, but I think we've done a good job overall, the team at Hyperice in general, product development and strategy teams on identifying where there's big opportunities where we can actually make an impact and then running fast at those opportunities. Well, Jim, no one bats a thousand. So in my mind, it's better <laughs> to scrap sure. those before uh, they get Very to market sure. and they cause a bigger problem, right? So uh, <laughs> without knowing the details, that's that's certainly the fun, uh, funny nuance to it. Uh, yeah. But I would love to talk about just the total addressable market, right? Like I think yeah. when I think about recovery uh, and health and wellness in general, Initially, I believe, uh, and you can tell me your feedback from what people mentioned, but like people probably thought this market was smaller than it is now, right? Just because of the nature of professional athletes. If you're not doing CrossFit, if you're not playing a professional sport, if you're not working out extremely hard, why do you need this stuff, right? And in my mind, uh, especially now more today than ever before, billions of people care about this, right? It's really for anyone who is doing any sort of physical activity. That could be walking, that could be a construction worker, that could be someone playing in the NFL. It could be anyone. So just talk me through real quick kind of how that has evolved over time and where you see it today. Yeah, and I'll never forget when we were raising money at the 10 million valuation, uh, it was not easy at that point. Um, to your point, people thought, okay, 10 million, like maybe this becomes 20, 30 million. And at the time we were, we were thinking, hey, this is 500 million. We can get to a billion eventually. Like we can get to that level of, of value as a company. Um, but there were a lot of people that passed on the investment at that 10 million range. And that was at, if you can't tell me, it's fine, but that was at a $500 million valuation? Oh no, this was at, this was when we were at a 10 million valuation back in 2015. Oh, okay. All right. So way early, we're, way back. Early. So 10 million valuation. I'll never forget that because it was really hard to raise money that time period. It was took us six months and we were hustling. I mean, we were talking to everybody just nonstop. I'll never forget. And um, there's one individual, Jeff Freed, who ended up investing, um, who has believed in the company, been a huge advocate. Uh, he has a, a small investment company um, and has been great. But but he was kind of one of them outside of the athletes who said, I totally believe you guys can get there. This is going to get massive. And he put in a little bit less than a million dollars at the time and, and has continued to invest. But I mean, there were big companies and big time influential people that just said, to your point, I don't think this can be that big, right? It's just a recovery niche. And, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't necessarily, um, you know, we're not going to go back and say, Hey, look, they were, completely wrong and thinking that maybe recovery was a smaller piece, but the overall health technology sector, and we just rebranded as a high performance wellness company, as opposed to recovery is massive, right? And recovery in itself is massive. 
mm-hmm. um, because that's a big part of high performance wellness. We kind of identify it as warm up, body maintenance, recovery, like those three elements, right? And how they affect your daily lifestyle. So there were a lot of naysayers early on. I think recently, over the past two years, there's been a completely change of mindset from investors and individuals. It's it's not hard for us to raise money at this point. Um, there's a lot, you know, we almost kind of get to pick and choose the strategic partners because people understand how big this can be. And um, and I say that very humbly. I just think that people's perception of the space has com- dramatically shifted over the last 24 months. Yeah. And so your last round was uh, you raised, I think you said 47 million, right? So uh, yeah. I had read online that you guys were looking to raise 30 million and it was oversubscribed. Is that accurate? On our series A? Yeah. Or- yeah. Yeah. So the series A was 30 and we oversubscribed and went to 48. Yep. And that was the round that we had the NFL, NBA, major league baseball, um, all were part of that round and Patrick Mahomes and Naomi Osaka and a bunch of, you know, influential athletes, uh, main street advisors and SC holdings led the round. Um, you're, you're saying most of the names, but you're still being humble. I'm going to read off a few of them. Okay. Just so people in the audience get a perspective here. You had the NFL, the MLB, a few other organizations, right? But from an athlete perspective, you have Patrick Mahomes, Naomi Osaka, Christian McCaffrey, Anthony Davis, Chris Paul, J.J. Watt, Russell Westbrook, Trey Young, Ricky Fowler, a bunch more, right? There's probably five or 10 more of them. Uh, but the idea, right, is that everyone was interested at this point, right? And it wasn't just, uh, hey, we're going to go scrap and try to find a couple people to, do, to, uh, to invest a million bucks or $10 million or whatever it is. Everyone came pouring in, right? So- yeah. Through those conversations with the athletes, what are those like? Is it just, hey, I use this product all the time. It makes sense. I don't know why anyone else wouldn't use it. I can be helpful. I'll do an endorsement, whatever it is, like here's some money also. Just walk me through kind of those conversations when you pitch it to athletes also. Yeah, and it's been, what's great about it for us is that all the athletes that invested authentically have used the products before. So I think there's only been one athlete of our roster. I think we have over like 60 or 70 athletes now that hadn't used the product before. And that was an international athlete where the product wasn't available there yet, but they've all used it. They understand the impact. And I think that they connect with the mission. The mission of the company um, is not just to help athletes, right? The mission of our company is to help every human on earth move better, live better, be better. So a lot of these athletes, and we've been very impressed with our roster, understand how much they can impact that mission. And it's not just about, they already know every pro athlete, you know, uses the devices. It's not about that. Like we're really trying to change, you know, the culture of the world in essence on how people think about health and wellness daily and how technology can play an integral part in their lives. So as soon as the athletes understand that mission, there's a deep connection and they want to help. And, um, you know, Rory McElroy, this is a great one. He just invested recently, uh, within the last couple months, he was really excited about everything we did and also really liked our acquisition of core. He's very into mental wellness. He thought that was really exciting what we're doing with biosensing and he has a partnership with whoop as well. So there was some synergy there. Um, but literally, I mean, him and his agent, Sean, who's also his manager, they're, they're coming to us with creative ways on how they can use his profile to amplify the awareness of high price. Um, and, and that doesn't happen a lot. A lot of times with brands, it's, hey, we're going to pay you, you're going to show up to a shoot, you're going to do X, Y, Z, and then they're going to never think about you again, right? 
because this is such an important mission, these athletes take a proactive approach, unlike anything I've ever seen before in my career. You know, how can I use, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of the launch. Like, Hey, I have this partnership with NBC. Can we get this on TV? How can we commercialize this in a meaningful way? Hey, I have this big event. Maybe we could showcase you here. It's been really incredible. Um, and I, I think we're lucky and fortunate that the athletes we have on the roster, um, all are great people and all, you know, really want to push this mission. Yeah. Well, being a professional athlete obviously gives uh, them a strategic advantage when it comes to investing in a product like this. But when you hear a story like that with Rory, that sets them apart, right? It's like, Hey, this guy is going to be super helpful. Uh, so not only with this deal, but I'm sure that's why he's been successful in other deals also. Exactly. And there's been a, there's been, I mean, Patrick Mahomes has been phenomenal. Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, Naomi Osaka, uh, during the time of Black Lives Matter, this is a cool story. So we wanted to make a statement just around our position there. And so we ran a commercial with Blake Griffin um, on the company stance during NBA game, no product in it, nothing, just kind of our position on equality and such. Naomi Osaka saw the commercial and wrote us literally that same day. She texted us and said, Hey, can I do one with the voiceover? And we're like, Oh, is this part of your, she said, no, no, no I just want to do it. And we said, okay, yeah, you can definitely let's work on that. Um, and she said, no, I want to do it today. <laughs> so we went through her house, recorded it. Literally it was the next day and then ran a commercial uh, during the U S open. So that's the type of level of engagement that we have with the athlete investors. That's amazing. That's a great story. And was it the same voiceover just with her like voice was the same words or did you guys scramble to basically get a whole new set of uh, script done overnight? It was, it was slightly adjusted, but she really just loved it. She said she was inspired by the version with Blake. Yeah. Um, and she wanted to participate, right? So wanted to participate. And she's like, I love this. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah, that's great. One of the things that uh, I talk about a lot and I really admire is the way Michael Rubin has built his business at Fanatics. And I think he's done a fantastic job of aligning incentives, right? And when you think about incentives, especially in business, they matter a lot because not only are you aligning kind of partnership-wise, but from a money perspective. And Mm -hmm. a, a lot of people that look from the outside and don't understand Fanatics and how they're structured, what he basically did was he went and signed exclusive partnerships with all the leagues. And not only did he get exclusive deals, which are not easy to get, obviously, but he gave them equity in the company and stuff. Uh, whether there was cash exchange or, or what, it depends on the deal. But the idea between aligning equity with incentives for partnerships, you guys mm-hmm. have done that on some level, right? With the NFL, you guys are partnered with the NBA, uh, the PGA Tour. I don't think people know this, that actually rewrote the rule book, I believe, to allow your products on the course, which is which is a cool and interesting story, the UFC, et cetera. A couple of those companies, which you mentioned previously, are investors in Hyperice. What yeah. role has that played in, uh, what were those conversations like, I guess is the more appropriate question around them becoming the official partner. Was there, was that before or after the investment and did the investment play a role? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. And with the, I'd say NFL, NBA were right around the same time. I think the NFL actually invested before we did the commercial partnership they did by about two months. Um, NBA, we kind of connected the two, the investment and the commercial deal. But that was our our strategy as a company. We said, we want a level of buy-in. We don't just want to be a general partner with the NBA or NFL. We know that will be great, but those companies are really invested in this this category because at the end of the day, our products are enhancing on-game performance. 
right? The health and longevity of the athletes. If LeBron is playing every night, they're putting out a better product as an organization. The NBA is right. Same thing with Patrick Mahomes. If he's on the field every day, performing at the highest level, that's good for the NFL. So there's a natural alignment there between the two companies and brands. We're a company that is relentlessly focused on technology that helps increase longevity and performance and affecting recovery and performance and longevity for the leagues is a huge benefit. It's also great for their relationship with players and the PAs. You know, we're going to partner with a company and invest in something that's going to help you continue to succeed year after year. That's great for the players. So we wouldn't have done these deals. I don't think if there wasn't that level of commitment because we felt like it was the deep commitment really aligned the incentives um, to your point in the open. And that played out well. Both of those, all three of those organizations, Major League Baseball, NBA, and NFL, were so progressive around wanting to dive into this and invest in high price and make it a huge part of their, um, their health and safety program that uh, those deals were done very quickly. Like it only took, you know, I'd say a couple months max on those deals from start to finish to construct them in a meaningful way. And uh, it's been amazing. They've all been fantastic partners. And I think we unlock a lot more things we can do together because they have that deep alignment. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not a marketing expert by any means, but I'm curious, I see hyper ice, right? So in the bubble specifically, uh, you guys had the the percussion guns on all the players' chairs and they could use yeah. them during timeouts after the game, whatever. Uh, the NFL, I've seen the carts rolled out where they can go in there and kind of get the different tools and stuff to use. As a marketing uh, kind of category, what are you guys tracking through these partnerships? Is it, hey, there's screen time, so we obviously know we're getting some kind of brand value. Are you able to track sales through the partnerships? Like, just talk me through kind of how you track those partnerships. Yeah, so there's different elements. So in in those partnership deals, a lot of times you have um, deliverables that you can utilize that are in the bucket of resources. So if you pay the NFL a certain amount of dollars per year, you get a certain amount of assets, commercials, digital and social activations, you know, ability to use flexible funds for different things within the NFL ecosystem, right? So we can track all those metrics just like we would anything else, digital conversions, digital impressions, um, TV commercials. We see obviously track everything um, that's running there um, in real time and are constantly monitoring that. But I think the main premise of these partnerships was built around courtside, sideline integrations, on-course integrations, really being kind of the first technology company that would integrate into the game, right? There's not a lot of brands that can have Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul or LeBron James using their product on the sidelines on live TV, right? You can't do that with Beats or Bose or you know a headphone brand because they're not gonna be wearing those on the sidelines or on court. So we recognized that we had a unique opportunity to really, really drive in game. And of course, the media aspect of that is is huge for us because you can turn on a game and and see athletes, some of the best in the world using our devices on nationally TV, nationally televised TV almost every night. So we leaned in really heavy there. And your point about the PGA Tour rule change, that was a really exciting one. Uh, for me personally, because we pushed really hard to get them to change that rule <laughs> so they could allow um, our devices on course. And uh, one of the most exciting things actually in my career at Hyperize, probably top five, was the, the NBA integration in the bubble. Um, because we developed, we launched something called the Hyperbox, 
which was this like customized box that would slide under the chair where a hypervolt could sit courtside. And we did that. We developed it in like 35 days. Like the NBA was so progressive in being able to put that into the bubble with all the restrictions around COVID at the time. We pulled it off for opening night. Um, it was amazing. That one was really fun. Yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, we can look back at the numbers, but there's five, 10 to five to 10 million people watching every finals game. And you see uh, that year, LeBron James sitting on the side, right? And he's, he's using the percussion yep. massage gun, which is uh, without knowing the details financially of the partnership, that seems like a win, <laughs> uh, obviously. Right. So I'd love to talk a little bit about sales, right? So not necessarily numbers, but how you're selling these things and, yep. and these products. You acquired the company Normatech last year, uh, or, or I guess almost two years ago now in March before the pandemic. But mm-hmm. is majority of your sales still retail? I'm assuming the, the numbers are skewed a little bit e-commerce wise over the last year and, and direct to consumer. Uh, but I would love to just know where you guys are selling the most of these products and how you think that'll trend in the future. Yeah, it's a pretty relatively, um, it's close to even split between retail, e-commerce, which is you know, our dot-coms and Amazons and international. Okay. So those are kind of three buckets that we really look at. Um, and we have on the retail side, you know, partnerships with Best Buy, Target, Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, Dick's Sporting Goods, um, a lot of the big ones there, REI as well. So retail is a big component for us. Um, and then we, we do really well on e-com and, and Amazon as well. But, but really, we try to drive into delivering experiences. And that was more difficult during the COVID environment. But these products, when people touch and feel them, it's a completely different experience. Um, our data suggests that if people are touching and feeling the product, if someone buys a product, they tell eight people about a hypervolt. So one wow. person buys a product, they're telling eight. I mean, that data is is crazy comparatively to a lot of other technologies. And so because the product are changing the physiology of the human body, we want to get those products on people. We want people to touch them. We want people to feel them. So um, the partnerships with the equinoxes and the lifetime fitness and, and brands like that massage envy have been really valuable because they, they allow us the ability to deliver that experience together in a meaningful way, which just drives the, the overall impact and more people experiencing the technology. Um, so it's kind of a combination of, of digital, obviously retail presence, and then uh, what we call kind of more um, specialty small medium, which is the massage MBs, the select medicals, the equinoxes, the orange theories, and places like that where people can go and try the products. Do you think international will eventually be bigger than domestic sales? Um, I think that is our goal. Um, our, we are really hyper-focused on getting to 50-50. Percent international and 50 us and some of the stuff we're doing in asia right now is is wild like the growth trajectory there is is really really strong we're investing deeper into asia um specifically china japan doing well in korea uh and i think for us again the addressable market for us is every human that moves right essentially and you could break that down and say okay all right all right jim is it really every human that moves? But for us- It's a lot of them. <laughs> it's a lot of them. Right. I mean, that's the type of impact we want to have. Um, and when we look at revenue internally as a team, you know, something that I, I tell our team all the time, it's it's a reflection of how many people we're impacting, right? It really is. So when you look at it in that context, you don't always get stuck in the numbers where just you're constantly looking at a number. It's like, okay, 
how many people am I impacting in China? How many people am I impacting in Germany and Australia and Korea and all the international markets? So there is so much room to run there. And some markets are more advanced around health tech and others are just starting to learn a little bit more about it. Um, so uh, it's been really fun. Uh, I've actually been learning a little bit of Mandarin so I can communicate there a little bit. <laughs> How's that going? Um, it's tough. It's yeah. really tough. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I moved down to Miami a few months ago uh, yep. and I've, I've read a few things in Spanish and it was way yep. too difficult. <laughs> I, uh, I gained a whole new level of respect for people that know multiple languages. Uh, I don't so, know how people have, there's people that have five to six languages. That's just insane to me. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly uh, a talent for sure. So that's, that's Great. interesting. Um, so how many employees do you guys have now? Um, we have a little over 170. Okay. So that's, yeah, substantial. And yeah. how do you think about uh, growing additional revenue streams, right? So you talked about the different categories and products that you guys have within those or SKUs you have within those. Uh, you went out and acquired Normatech. You've acquired some other companies. Is it more yeah. building products in-house? Is it acquiring products you already see that are working now that you have some additional capital and just putting them in your distribution, right? So when I think about it, one of the main advantages you guys have now as a company that has built up its scale is this distribution, right? And you can plug in different products at work and consumers yeah. want, and you can say, hey, look, we can get you in X, Y, Z retail store. We can plug you into this e-commerce store. We can get you on Amazon. We can do all these things, right? So is it building products in-house or are you now looking to go out and acquire other products? It's a combination. So I think right now our innovation roadmap is stronger than it's ever been since uh, we have, we have product innovations planned through 2024, which we are developing. And again, some of those don't see the light of day. We'll scrap some, but I, I feel like it is very, very strong, deeper than we've ever had. Um, as far as a forward-looking roadmap. So that's great. I feel like we constantly kind of iterate and look for new categories, technologies, modalities. Um, but then to your point, there are some opportunities where we see key technologies, maybe that are in early development stages. RecoverX was a great example of this, where we just feel like we can accelerate its impact in the high-price ecosystem with our kind of more advanced uh, manufacturing capabilities. We can take a product that might be in the early stages and bring it to the final stages, then bring it to market in a meaningful way. Um, so we are, you know, aggressive on the acquisition side when we see something that really fits in nicely. Um, you know, RecoverX was a great example. We acquired that company in December of last year. Uh, founder Alex Aguiar, brilliant inventor, entrepreneur, um, came up with the early concept around a contrast therapy device, which does heating and cooling all electronically. And that product was in very, really early stages. And we aligned with him and said, hey, like, let's work together on this. We can bring it to the finish line, uh, come into the high price ecosystem. He's leading our thermal technology division. And, um, you know, we were able to bring the manufacturing costs down. We added some new key features, integrated into our app kind of redesign the way it looks on the exterior with his help and that product we cannot keep in stock right now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so, so I think there's, to your point, uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time and energy and, and manpower and, and dollars to, to create a brand that has, in my opinion, tremendous staying power. And now there are opportunities to kind of do a combination of, developing our own innovations and potentially acquiring some that really work well in our ecosystem. What's going on with the supply chain? Is this an issue with you guys too? 
it's challenging. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've like made calls just this week to different people to see, uh, you know, if they can be helpful. I actually called the CEO of Logitech a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, Hey, can you give me any advice on X, Y, Z? Um, but, uh, it's challenging. We're in great shape for holiday. I think we've done a good job. Our, our team is on top of it, but, uh, there's definitely added costs. Yeah. So a lot more air shipping costs because things end up being delayed a little bit. Um, well, what we've so seen is some of these big retailers are now literally, uh, they're chartering their own ships, right. And they're, and they're yep. paying these expedited and larger costs to be able to get products here because, uh, you, you might know this better than me, but I read the other day, like if it was 40 days previously, I think Nike said it was taking 40 days to get goods from Asia to the West coast. And now it's taking 80 or 85. Right. So yep. that's substantial. Yeah. And we looked at the, at, you know, renting our own plane. That was actually one of Anthony's ideas. He's like, hey, he came to me, he's like, Hey, I think we should try to rent a plane. And of course, everybody was thinking that. So it was like 5 million bucks to charter a plane. Yeah, of <laughs> um, but we, but we looked at everything and yes, the delays are significant. Um, air shipping costs are up five X, uh, boat shipping costs are up like seven or eight X. Um, the time to port, I, I agree with that number for us. It used to be 40. Now it's more like 75. Um, we, we prepared for it. I think the only, the only element that um, is I'm interested to see how it plays out is the shipping windows between December 15th and the end of the year, right? When UPS and FedEx are just going to be jammed um, because of labor shortages. So I think that'll impact companies ability to execute um, down the stretch when ship windows for customers get tight. Yeah. Um, but overall it's, it's not understated. There are definitely significant supply chain challenges out there for anybody in consumer electronics. And how long do you think it lasts? I think that we start to see some, uh, I think it's going to be another nine months at least. And then I feel like maybe in Q4 of next year, it opens up. That's my gut. And from other kind of people in the field who have more, you know, opens up as in like back to normal or like we're still going to be at 50 days shipping and, and, you know, three X the cost for freight for air. I think within 15 to 20% of normal. Gotcha. And the reason is I think that it'll be enough time for people to start preparing like new companies are entering the market. Like if you have chip shortages, there's new people coming in, seeing that opportunity and developing infrastructures to deliver product. Um, I think freight carriers are starting to, to look at different ways, more efficient ways that they can service the global environment. Um, and do you think that this will have a impact on American manufacturing? Do you think we'll see more companies look to do things here in North America relative to overseas? I think so. I think it's already started happening. I think a lot of companies are looking at Mexico as well as a great option. Um, but they're just, there's so many efficiencies in, in Asia yeah. that I don't know if it'll ever completely compete. Yeah. If, especially if you think that not you personally, but if people believe that it's going to go down to, you know, some level of normality over the next 12 to 24 months, uh, it makes it harder to decide from a cost perspective of what you're going to invest in. Uh, if, if you think it's going to go back to normal. So, uh, Jim, I got a couple more questions for you and then I'll let you go. One, will you guys integrate with, uh, any digital fitness products? Pelotons of the world, uh, mirrors, any of those kind of companies. 
I think a lot of people, when they think of uh, the combination of health and wellness at home, they think that your product would fit very well with kind of a, an exercise bike or whatever, whatever the equipment side of it is. Do you guys, have you had those conversations? Do you plan to have those conversations? Is anything in the works, et cetera? Yes, absolutely. So we do, we do connect with some and we're continuing to work on, on partnerships around connectivity there. And we've also launched what's called HyperSmart. I don't know how much um, you've seen this ecosystem, but we've launched an environment with our Hyperice app, which connects into wearable devices, curates your activity data and sends you personalized routines in connection to your products based on your data. So for example, if you have an Apple watch, right? Or Garmin or, you know, Strava, for example, um, your metrics, our app is going to pull your data from your metrics and prescribe you, so to speak, routines based on the products you own. So if you slept seven hours and your heart rate was X and you ran three miles and you love tennis and you're in the hyper ice app, and we know you own a Normatec and a Hyperbolt, you're going to get a ping from our app that says, Hey Joe, you just ran this amount of miles. Here was your activity dynamics based on yesterday's activity. Here's a routine from your favorite performance coach from Naomi Osaka's favorite performance coach with your Normatec device. You jump in your boots. It gives you a 15 minute session based on your specific activity. And now we've kind of completed that flywheel as it relates to delivering content, pulling activity and allowing people um, to under understand how and when to use the products. Gotcha. Cause uh, I think when a lot of people talk about those partnerships, their mind mm -hmm. immediately goes to the products together, right? And showing up, you buy one, the other one shows up with it or vice versa. But that's actually mm -hmm. an extremely smart way I didn't think about, which is, hey, if you already own these products, let's just integrate it from a technology or a, a software standpoint so we can kind of help each other. Uh, how many partnerships do you guys have currently? Is it a lot? Um, we're integrated into to four kind of wearable tech companies okay. already. And, and then we're sinking in with a couple kind of home in home fitness platforms that we're working on right now. Gotcha. Um, and I see that expanding. Um, I really do, because I think it's a, it's a value add. If you think about, you know, the home uh, fitness platform, if we can elevate their longevity and their recovery and the way they feel, they're going to take more classes. They're going to get on the bike more frequently. They're going to engage in the digital platforms more frequently. So it's really a win-win and it's also an additional offering, something that we can do to make people feel good, enhance energy. And if you're getting on the bike or you're getting in front of um, whatever platform you have at home and you feel better, you're going to engage and love that platform more than you did prior. It's essentially so the really same thing you did with the professional sports leagues, right? Which is, Hey, we want these players to be out there. Your product's better. The TV ratings are up. You can sell more ads if they're on the field, if they're on the court, et cetera. Same thing with yeah. the bikes, same thing with the equipment, same thing with whatever app you're connecting with. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And what's really interesting is for example, I don't know if you have an Apple watch um, or whatever platform you use, but we can start to say, hey, we know you're using a Normatec here and we're starting to learn a little bit about what you do in your routines with the products. Now we can re recommend you another product that we think could be beneficial based on your routines and your activity data. Gotcha. So, so the data actually, becomes a huge component of it. Yep. Yep. The, the platform is called HyperSmart and it, it gets more intelligent as you use it. So we can be more accurate and precise with our recommendations around the, the products. Gotcha. I'll have to check that out. All right. I got two more for you. Cool. One, 
you joined early on hyper ice, yeah. uh, five employees, 400, $500,000 of sales. What's the yeah. craziest thing? Or is there one thing that sticks out of your mind that you had to do, uh, to keep the business going or an inflection point to, uh, start to see some sales or just something that sticks out of your mind that was like, looking back, I can't believe I had to do that. Uh, but we're building a company, <laughs> so it is what it is. Oh man, there's a bunch of them. And, and, um, I, I love what I do. Like I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I fell in love with case studies and business schools. Like I love business. I love the team that we have. I love leadership. Um, so Sunday night hits, I'm ready to rock. That's just kind of always, always been me around this company, but, um, so no task is too, too small. Um, but I do think there's been some points where I look back, like in 2014, deep in the year, there was no way we were going to make payroll and our CFO or our controller at the time, we were raising a little bit of money and we just needed to keep the lights on and employees paid. And it was like a hundred grand or something small that we were short. And she's like, where's the money? Like we need to invest. Like do you have any checks? And no one knew we were that close, but we were running it laser. I mean, razor thin. And there was an MMA fighter at the time who was investing and I called him up and it was Friday and we had to make payroll. I had to get the money to the bank at two. And I called him up and I'm like, Hey, are you going to invest? Are you, he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to do 200 grand. I'm like, if you're going to do it, like now's the time to do it. He's like, all right, I'm in, drove down, came to the office at 1215. I grabbed the check, ran like two red lights to get to bank of the West and deposit the money. And we made payroll. That one was a funny one. That's amazing. Um, uh, is he, is he still an investor today? Yeah. His name's Jake Allenberger. Um, and yeah, he invested. And does in he know that story or no? He does know it. Yeah. Okay. Our team, it's, it's, it's a classic story. And then I think there's been moments like when we acquired core recently, um, that one we did in 30 days, it was a really fast acquisition because we knew that we were doing a rebrand and this was just the perfect product for us and company and people to transform the way people think about hyperice, not just physical well-being, but mental well-being, the body and the mind. Um, so that acquisition was, I mean, in 30 days to do an acquisition from start to finish. Uh, Sarah McDevitt, the founder of that company, fantastic and incredibly brilliant as well. Um, that one was great. I think the three acquisitions were really exciting for me because we did three in 18 months and they've all been really impactful. Um, the NBA integration on the sidelines, was probably like the most excited I've ever been on a day. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, like our products are actually integrated. Every single player is using, you know, has a product built into the seat in the bubble. Um, there's been a lot of cool ones. Th those uh, are, uh, th those are good. We, have yep. had someone on our YouTube show the other day, uh, Rich Antonelli, who is the founder of Complex. Yeah, I know uh, Rich. He's great. Yeah, so Rich is awesome. Oh. And, and I think you and Rich are giving each other a run for your money on that question because Rich said that uh, there was two. Rich gave a couple also, and one of them was related to payroll. And he said when they were being acquired uh, the first time and they were receiving some investment and some capital, basically the days – mixed up and they didn't have the ability to, uh, they were going to be short on payroll for one week or whatever. Maybe it was two weeks. I forget. And yeah. Rich used personal money to cover it. And no one at the company knew at the time. Uh, and he, he, he's open and honest about it now, but he was essentially, we asked him, Hey, you didn't tell anyone. He's like, hell no, I didn't tell anyone. He's like, they, nothing was wrong necessarily, but they were, they would have been scared. Right. Because they would have said, uh, Hey, is everything okay here? Should I be looking for another job? Why is the CEO covering funds, et cetera? Uh, so that was a really good one. And then his second one was in the early days of complex, 
he said that one of his business partners at the time who was the, uh, I believe the majority investor or a significant investor, they got a distribution at the end of the year and it was the first time that the business had been profitable. I forget what year it was, but it was the first time the business had been profitable. And Rich came and said, hey man, look, uh, we made a million dollars or whatever. Like we're, we're, we're in the profit by a million dollars. But I want to, uh, I think we need to shift to digital very quickly. And this was like the early 2010s or something like that. And he was like, hey, look, we're going to see the shift. We need to be one of the first ones to do it. Like we need to go fully digital. We should take this million bucks and just invest in digital. And the partner was like, dude, I've been invested in this business for years. Like I want my cash back basically. And Rich said no. And they went back and forth. And Rich says it ended up with uh, a wrestling match. He said, I'll wrestle you for it. No <laughs> So no Rich, Rich says that, uh, in the middle of the office, uh, on the conference room table, they got the office manager and she refereed and they wrestled for the million dollar check. Rich won, they invested in digital, the company grew and and they got acquired, I think last year. No way. Yeah. That's just, hilarious. Just an amazing story. But the reason why I asked that is because your story highlights the exact same point, which is like people do crazy shit when they're building a business, right? And and there's so yeah. many things that go uh, unnoticed to the general public or or the numbers become flashy, right? And everyone sees, hey, Hyper Ice is, uh, you know, they just raised money at a $700 million valuation. They're going to be a billion dollar company. They got all these athletes. But then you you telling the story of trying to convince an MMA fighter to uh, get his check in early so you could pay employees, like that's what it's all about. And I think those are the stories at the end of the day that people look back on and they're like, that's awesome. <laughs> I Yeah, and, and I totally agree. I think it's been, you know, you don't, you don't know until you know, like it's, it's not, you know, growth isn't just a straight line. You read all the success stories to your point and everybody thinks that it's just, easy and it just goes crazy and it's on fire. Like there's, there's a lot of work and a lot of pivots and um, you know, a lot of, a lot of stories that happen along the way where you look back and like, wow, if I didn't do that, we could have been here or we did do that and it didn't work. We thought we'd be here. There's so many pivotal moments in a company's growth. Um, and we appreciate those and we learn from them. And um, I mean, I probably have five to 10 crazy stories I was going to say, uh, someone's telling me I probably didn't even get the best one, but we'll, we'll save that for another time. Cool. Cool. Right. Thank you for doing this, Jim. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited to see what you guys do over the next few years. I'm biased, but I think it's going to be a big company, uh, a very big company. So I'm excited to see what you guys do uh, and we'll have to do this again. Likewise. Thank you for having me on the show. I think you're going to be tremendously successful. I'm, I'm going to listen to the other two that I haven't listened to yet. And uh, if I'm one of the first 10, like I'm sure when we get to a thousand, maybe we can do another one. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly will. Thanks, man. All right, cool. See ya.